on the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, we are never alone. Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you. Merry Christmas to you. I'm Greg Paris. We're so thrilled that you've uh, chosen to be with us this morning. We've been uh, talking this Advent season in anticipation of the coming of Messiah Emmanuel. We've been talking about the fact that God is with us, and we have discovered that God is with us in the valleys of life. He's with us when we're in the wilderness times of life. He's with us in the storms of life, and I hope that you've been encouraged and and inspired by knowing that. Today we're going to uh, piggyback right on our main scripture reference for this entire theme um, this Advent season. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to read for us verses 18 to 23. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that reference. If not, we'll project the words, of course, on the screen for you. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word here at Union Chapel. So as you're able, thank you for doing that. Matthew, chapter 1. And this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, and everyone together, God with us. May God inspire and instruct us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. This whole idea of God being with us, God being with us. Today we want to just mention that God is with us always. God with us. There's a theological term for that. The theologians of history have come up with a term, a theological term for God being with us, and it's called the incarnation. The incarnation simply means being in the flesh. Now, trying to explain this, define this in a clear way, I thought that I would first go to the source of all wisdom and knowledge in our world today, so I went to Wikipedia. And I asked Wikipedia to define, give me a definition of the incarnation, and this is what Wiki says. In Christian theology, the doctrine of the incarnation holds that Jesus, the preexistent divine logos, which means word, and the second hypostasis of the Trinity, God the Son, and the Son of the Father, taking on a human body and human nature, was made flesh, conceived in the womb of Mary the Theotokos, which is Greek for God-bearer. The doctrine then of the incarnation entails that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, two natures joined in hypostatic union. There you go. 
So now you know what the incarnation. I actually have a, a earned Master of Divinity degree from Asbury Theological Seminary. It's a 90 semester hour degree. It took me three and a half years to earn the degree. And uh, I'm not really quite sure what Wiki's talking about uh, when he regarded the in incarnation. So what is the incarnation? As simply as I can put it, the incarnation is when God became flesh in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God put on an earth suit. Almighty God put on an earth suit. Now contemplate that. And came to the earth to live here in the person of Jesus Christ. Look on the screen at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Some of you are familiar with the paraphrase, biblical paraphrase called the message. How many of you read the message from time to time? You're familiar with it. I'd like for more hands to be going up around that because Eugene Peterson uh, actually wrote this paraphrase. It's, it's just modern language, modern thinking vernacular around the scriptures, and it's added great value to people's understanding of the scripture and of their relationship with God. By the way, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, has recently passed away. So this is the first Christmas that Dr. Peterson is spending in heaven. This is how he interpreted John 1.14, which says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He writes it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And moved into the neighborhood. That's helpful, isn't it? That's helpful. Oh, that's the incarnation. God put on an earth suit, moved in next door. Okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. One of my favorite Christian authors, as you may recall, is C.S. Lewis. And he used the image of a scuba diver to communicate the meaning, the drama, the heroism of the incarnation. And this is what he wrote. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then back up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting until suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping, precious thing he went down to recover. That dripping, precious thing is you and I. And Christmas is when we celebrate his coming down to us. That's a helpful metaphor, isn't it? Helpful indeed. In him was life, the Bible says, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so we give God thanks for coming to be with us. I love this story from the 19th century where a Charles Bradlaugh, a prominent atheist at the time, challenged a Christian man to debate the validity of the claims of Christianity. The Christian was a man named Hugh Price Hughes. And he was an active soul winner at the time who worked among the poor in the slums of London. And Hughes told Bradlaugh he would agree to the debate on one condition. Now follow it. Hughes said, I propose that we each bring some concrete evidence of the validity of our belief in the form of men and women who have re been redeemed from the lives of sin and shame by the influence of our te teaching. So I will bring 
Hughes said, I will bring a hundred such men and women, and I challenge you to do the same. And then Hughes said that if Bradlaugh couldn't bring a hundred, then he could bring 20. And he finally whittled the number down to one. All Bradlaugh had to do was find one person whose life was improved by atheism. And Hughes would bring a hundred people whose lives have been improved by Christ. Then they would debate. Bradlaw withdrew. The atheist couldn't find one person whose life was better from his teachings. In Jesus, you see what happened is God pitched a tent. He pitched a tent in our world and became our neighbor. Verse 14 of John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he was full of grace and truth. Praise be to God that he has come to be with us. The story is told by Bruce Thielman of a Hindu who could not believe in Christianity because he could not contemplate a God who would so humble himself. You understand that this is what God has done. This is the greatest act of humility in all of history where Almighty God actually descends, condescends through the ranks of glory and angels all the way down to the all the way down to the earth and puts on an earth suit. It's a remarkable thing. This Hindu fellow then one day came upon an anthill. He tried to get close enough to study it, but every time he bent low, his shadow caused the ants to scurry away. He recognized that the only way in which he could ever come to know the colony of ants would be if he could somehow become an ant himself. And that was the moment at which his conversion began. God so full of love, so filled with mercy, so concerned about the condition of your life and mine, the souls of the world at stake, so broken, so devastated by the lostness of humanity, made his way to the earth to be with us. There was a time during the most horrible persecutions of the Jews by the Nazis in Poland that an old Jewish cemetery keeper came to work one morning and found that during the night, a woman had crept into an open grave and there given birth to a son. Can you even imagine? After she had given birth, she died. He found the child and he said to himself and to others, this must be the Messiah. For only the Messiah could choose to be born in a grave. Well, it wasn't the Messiah. In fact, the child died before noon that day. But what the cemetery keeper spoke is absolutely accurate. Now follow it. Only the Messiah of God could choose to be born in a grave. Only a God who loves as our God loves would come in the midst of all the pain of life, all the suffering of life, all of the death in this world, all of the valleys, all of the wanderings in the wilderness, all of the storms of life, only a God of mercy and love would come to such a world to bring his grace. And we are amazed by that grace. Amen? We are amazed by it. You can see on your outline three points. I want to give them to you in 90 seconds. It's a holiday sermon. We won't be long. Here's number one. What was his mission? We, we know he came for us. What was his mission? 
to bring us life and that life to the full. To bring us life and that life in all of its abundance. Superabundant in quantity, superior in quality. John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it in fullness. And so we celebrate this wonderful mission to give us his life. And then number two, who did he come for? Who was the focus of his attention? He came not for the righteous, but for sinners. Mm -hmm. Not for the healthy, but the sick. Not for righteous, but sinners. Not the healthy, but the sick. How many qualifiers do I have in the room besides me? Isn't it great? We qualify for God's amazing grace. We, we're sinners. We know it. We, we've done wrong. We know it. We're aware of that. Jesus didn't come for people who were perfect. He didn't come for people who were healthy. He came for you and me. Thank God he did. And then number three, why? Why did he come? He came for lost sheep who needed a shepherd. He came for lost sheep who needed a shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Watch it now. Watch. He's good. Watch. Because I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life. Praise God. Praise God. Well, another of the saints, at least in the church in America, has, has recently passed. This is a name you may not be familiar with. It's a Southern Baptist pastor named Jess Moody. Jess Moody passed on December the 10th. One of the books that he wrote uh, had an interesting title. It was entitled, Club Sandwich Goes Good with Soup. Club Sandwich Goes Good with a Bowl of Soup. That was the name of the book. <laughs> it had several anecdotes in there, little vignettes. And this was an encounter with this one vignette. was about an encounter he had with a mother of a United States president, uh, Mrs. Rose Kennedy. And he writes, I taught a Bible class at the home of Barbara Holmyard, who was the champion spark plug heiress. Now follow this. Jess Moody uh, started in the southern states as a Southern Baptist, most of these guys do, but he ended up in California and influenced the Hollywood culture over the, over the years and was a great influence there. And apparently had this Bible study, a home Bible study, again in the home of the, spark, the champion spark plug heiress, Barbara Holmyard. Amy Vanderbilt was also a woman who attended this Bible study. She called it the billion-dollar class. <laughs> Princess Alexandra of Greece on one occasion was invited to come, and Rose Kennedy came with her. Some of you will remember the name Rose Kennedy. She was the mother of John F. Kennedy, one of our presidents. She and her husband Joe had nine children, uh, good Catholic folks. And Rose Kennedy was part of the class on that occasion. Jess Moody writes, When I saw that Rose was present, I immediately changed my subject for the day to a little homily on death with three points. Number one, you can fight it. Number two, you can take flight from it. Or number three, you can make a deal with God. After the class, he wrote that Rose Kennedy whispered in my ear. She said, I made that deal a long time ago. I was a spoiled young bride of a strong-willed man, a socialite who attended every function possible, she began. We were expecting a child and were quite elated at the prospect. The day came when our child should come. She was a beautiful child. We were ecstatic. 
It wasn't long until we realized that there was something terribly wrong with her. We took her to the doctor who confirmed our fears. She was retarded and nothing could be done. Some anger grew within my heart, she continued. How could God do such a thing to this child and especially to me? I turned my back on God. I turned my back on my husband, my closest friends, and I became a recluse. My husband and I seemed to shun the child. One evening, a major event was happening in the city. I wanted to go, but I was so filled with wrath that I thought I might create a scene. My husband feared it, so we decided just to stay home that evening. I was boiling over with resentment. There was a lovely woman who was one of our maids, and she sensed my boiling soul. Please excuse me, Mrs. Kennedy, but I've been watching you the last few weeks. I love you very much, and I hate to see this destroy your life. I say this as gently as I know how. Mrs. Kennedy, you'll never be happy until you make your heart a manger where the Christ child may be born. Mrs. Kennedy said, I fired her on the spot. You have no idea, she said, how filled with anger, how isolated, how focused on doubt I had become. That night, though, my mind ruminated relentlessly, keeping me awake until the late hours. I could not forget my maid's lovely face, the sweetness of her countenance, the subsurface joy that seemed to boil up continually in her spirit, and especially those deathless words. Mrs. Kennedy, you'll never be happy until you make your heart a manger where the Christ may be born. I've loved Christ all my life, she said and tried to be a good Catholic girl all my years. But this was one of those joyous moments of real contact with God and his son. So I knelt beside my bed and I prayed, Dear God, make my heart a manger where the Christ child may be born. And I felt a fresh new divine entry into my life. And there was born in me a passion and a love for retarded children. And oh, by the way, she said, I rehired that lovely maid, and she was with us for years until her death. Isn't that a beautiful story? Isn't that amazing? Now, some of you, as I was reading that story, you resonated with Rose Kennedy. You felt her doubt. You felt her pain. You're aware of her disappointment. These are the valleys. These are the wilderness journeys. These are the storms of life, and they come to all of us. And yet God is at work. God is with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And even for Rose Kennedy, as she submitted her heart afresh and anew to Christ, his spirit touched her. And not only reassuring her and bringing healing to her own heart, but increasing her love for the very child that she so despised. And over the course of her years, Rose Kennedy, by the way, lived to 104 years old. And over the course of her life, she did many wonderful things for the cause of special needs children and how beautiful that is. And in fact, one of her daughter, her fifth born, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, has been credited with the founding of the Special Olympics. How great is that? How great is that? What a wonderful thing. And it's just a reminder to us, friends, that Almighty God never wastes our pain. He never discards our suffering. He always uses those seasons when we're in the valley or in the wilderness or in the storms. He always takes those moments and he reconstitutes them 
and he brings out of those devastating experiences actual good. This is the wonderment of following Jesus. This is, this is an astounding reference to the fact that Almighty God is present in our world and active in our world, at work in our lives. There is no greater evidence of the presence of God than his ability to redeem something that can be so devastating and lead to such disappointment and bring out of that redemptive and gracious things. God can take bad things that happen to us and produce out of them good opportunities to honor him and to influence the world around you. So God never wastes. He, he never neglects. He never, he never discards these moments when we suffer, when we're in pain, when we journey through difficult seasons. He is always at work. Now, now, I mentioned last week, if you're in the storm, you're just trying to survive the storm. I mean, it doesn't cross your mind that, you know, someday I'm going to help somebody else survive their storm. That doesn't occur to you. But in the course of time, God redeems every situation and brings good out of those devastating moments. And so we give him thanks for that. I think, as I mentioned, it's the greatest, one of the greatest indicators that God is at work in, a, in our lives when we know that he is changing those devastating moments into hopeful ones. So God is with us. God is with us. When we're on the mountaintop and life is good and we are blessed, he is with us to rejoice and to celebrate with us. But I'll remind you that when we feel lost, we lose our way, he is with us to guide us. When we feel under attack, he is with us as our defender. When we feel alone and isolated, he is with us as our companion. When we are hurting, and undone in that way, he is with us to comfort us. When we're afraid, he is our peace. When we are sick, he is our healing. When we are weak, he is our strength. And when we sin, when we sin, he is with us. And if we sin, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so in the midst of even the sinfulness of our lives, and all of us abuse our freedom, don't we? All of us choose to do the wrong thing. All of us turn our back on God from time to time. All of us understand sinfulness. And yet, even in our sin, God provides for us by being with us in the presence of his son, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's so great. It's so great. That's why when the, when the boy was born, angels announced his birth. Glad tidings of great joy which shall be for everyone, all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Thank God there's a Savior that has come to be with us. Oh, boy. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, who said, look, behold, check this out. The virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God is with us. One more time, God with us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw, draw us closer to yourself. We're thankful that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So I pray that you would be present in our lives in a way that only you can. 
to offer your supernatural peace goes beyond our human ability to even understand or explain and that you would guard our hearts and our minds and our souls in Christ Jesus. And I pray especially for those in the room today who may be desperate or feel alone or afraid, facing stress points financially or physically, relationally. So God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal your presence to us. Remind us that you are with us. Come close to us so that we can hear your, your voice we might find your presence and in that presence hope and healing forgiveness grace and truth that we would find a heavenly peace beyond anything this world offers god show us your goodness show us your grace now friend perhaps you're in the room today and maybe maybe for the first time during this service you recognize that you haven't been walking with God. You haven't been experiencing God's presence. Perhaps for the first time, you're understanding why Jesus was born the way he was, what his death on the cross means, what his resurrection actually means. Maybe you've heard it today in a way that's different, and somehow it's drawn you toward God. Maybe you're in the room today and you say, look, I'm not a religious person at all. I don't even have a faith. I'm just visiting from out of town. Or whatever your story, there may be something right now drawing you toward Jesus. You may be asking yourself, what is that? Let me tell you what it is. I know what it is. It's the loving presence of God. And you're not here by accident. You're feeling drawn to God. And if that's true for you, you want to pay very close and careful attention to that. Because what it means is you have an opportunity to say yes to the greatest gift of all time. And what is that? It's the gift of God's love through Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches us that all of us have sinned. We all get it. We've all done things wrong. And the way we're made right with God isn't by being good or being good enough. Only Jesus was good enough. So it's not what we have done. It's not what we continue to do it's not how we strive and make an effort rather it's by the merits of what Jesus has accomplished for us so the only way we're forgiven of our sins is by receiving a free gift a gift of God experienced by placing our trust and faith in Jesus maybe you're in the room today and you're aware of your need for his grace you need his forgiveness you need his mercy you feel something drawing you toward him right now. That's the power of his presence. And all you need to do is simply say yes. Yes, Jesus, forgive me. Save me, change me, make me new. See, when you cry out to God, he'll hear your prayers. He'll forgive your sins. You don't merely become a better person. You become a new person. Old things go. New things come to your life. So if you're here and you sense your need for his grace... I want to pray with you right now I want to pray and everyone here is going to pray with you would you join me friends everyone just praying out loud after me are you ready say these words believe them in your heart God will hear your prayer ready everyone pray after me Heavenly Father today I trust you to forgive me of all my sins 
and make me brand new. Jesus, I believe you died for me and you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you, live for you, and show your love. My life is not mine. I give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray.